Greetings and welcome. Thank you to each and every listener for tuning in for this brand new episode of On What Brings You In. My name is Bradley Wank, and I am an aspiring mental health counselor here to discuss mental health topics, combat mental health stigma, and spread some positive energy. I am recording today at the CoLab Studios in Clearwater, Florida. Joining me today is guest Danielle Carber, who has traveled all the way from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, Thank you for that, by the way. Uh, She is here. She is a certified nurse practitioner and primary provider at the VA. Danielle offers offers a unique perspective um, on this topic because on top of treating patients at the VA, she also is a witness to very personal aspects of military and mental health as she is the wife of an active duty tech sergeant in security forces. So Danielle, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. And before we begin, I want to say again, thank you to any active, former, or retired military personnel for your sacrifice, your dedication, and commitment to protecting our country and rising to the cause. I also want to say thank you to any husband, wife, child, mother, father, sibling, friend, or family member who supports those in our military and our veterans. And if you are able, I ask you to join us in a moment of silence and reflection to honor any of the brave men and women who have gone before us while serving our country. The views, information, or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of the individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and guests can change at any time. At times, this podcast may cover sensitive topics, and we ask you refrain from listening if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, the producer, the host, the guest shall be liable for any content covered causing offense, distress, or any other reaction. I am not a licensed mental health counselor, and this podcast should not be used to substitute for actual mental health services. Danielle's views are that of her own and do not directly relate to the views and associations of the VA or any of their affiliate institutions. One of the first things a mental health counselor will do um, to assess a client's environment, you know, it's it's one of the first things we have to look at because we want to see what their stress factors are and how are they managing their relationships that are around them and are these relationships healthy are they are they giving them something that is bringing them into a positive light is there something that is giving them what they need to go out into the world and be the best versions of themselves and you know what are their job titles and should we consider you know other avenues that might help their development go into a different to a different level i would say And one of the traits of a counselor is to hold an extreme amount of empathy. And we have clients who come into us every day. They explain how an event made them feel. And often this can fall into various degrees of stress, uh, trauma, and hardships that a counselor may never have experienced personally. So we have to make sure we keep that. And this is why we rely on empathy to understand a person better and how their experiences have shaped them. I regularly use this example that a cardiologist does not need to have experienced a heart attack in order to treat one. But the more a cardiologist familiarizes themselves with the mechanics and the physiology of a heart attack, the better off a patient will be in the long run. And I say this simply because I cannot imagine what it must be like to join the military, to offer my services, to separate from my family and my friends and my life, to train and to serve, and then eventually, you know, try to proceed back into normative society and normative functioning and to not have any implications. And I just think it's so important because for people who don't think or feel or experience these things every single day, this is such a reality for those who are 
like I said, rising above and coming to these occasions. And we train our military to be the best of the best. Our military is literally our protection. It's our soldiers. And they are subjected to incredibly harsh conditions and environments. And then often they sacrifice major components of their personality to of their of their self to complete sometimes unimaginable tasks, all for the sake of following orders, right? So it is crucial and it's vital. But how do we how do we help these how do we help these individuals when, like I said, they're not in these conditions and they're not they're not going through all of these hardships. And that's why it's so important to have you here today, Danielle, because I know you don't directly treat mental health, but I know that it is a big part of what you do. So why don't you go ahead, open up to the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and just what got you into um, becoming a, a nurse practitioner? So I've always, since a kid, been kind of like a mother hen and caring for people and had a huge empathy and just wanted to go into the medical field. Like I never questioned that other than a very brief period of wanting to be an English professor just so I could <laughs> read books. Um, but quickly switched right back over to it. I originally wanted to be a MD, but then in school and just through life, switched gears and went into nursing. And through nursing, I feel like I gained even more empathy and I just felt like I was making a difference. And because of being a nurse, I really feel like I empathize more than some other medical professionals because I've been at that bedside. I've been with the dying patient. I've helped clean them up. I've seen them start to finish and all of that. And that I feel just helps me be a more attentive provider to everything, especially mental health side of things. I worked as a cardiology nurse for 10 years, and that I liked the reference you made to the cardiology. <laughs> um, but then that's actually helped me, too, in the primary care profession because the heart is one of the most difficult things to understand. And I have caught a lot of cardiac conditions just because I know what to look for. What to look for. Right. And um, But, yeah, I actually went back to school because my doctor, I worked for Dr. Adam Stish, who's a cardiologist, he said you should go back to school. And I was like, okay, I guess I will. And then bless my husband, he gave me his, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it, GI Bill. He gave mm. me his GI Bill, so it covered school, so we didn't have the added stress. I still worked full-time during that time, and he actually deployed about two months after I started school. We had two mm. kids at the time and was gone for seven months, and it was honestly oh, wow. super hard. Yeah. And it was tough on him too mentally because we had a two-year-old who was barely talking and oh. they were had such a great relationship and then by the time he came back he's speaking full sentences and like right doesn't really know who is this guy right like we right. tried facetime in that but that only does so much well and and at that age yeah, yeah yeah there's only so much yeah that you can do and right. such formative memories are made during that so that i know was very hard on him mentally and it took a while to get kind of back to that point so yeah and uh, decided to work at the VA, obviously have a passion for veterans and just feel like I can kind of relate just by watching my husband, what they go through. And I did an internship there and loved it and mm. then got hired on. Right. Well, congratulations. I mean, and for people who don't know, I mean, just to kind of, you know, you know, kind of 
stroke your ego a little bit. I mean, it is very difficult to get into the VA. I mean, it's it's a government facility, mm-hmm. and even though it's medical conditions, I mean, or everything that's being treated there. So, I mean, I know it's not easy. So that says a lot to your personality, what you do, your profession. So, I mean, just I thank you for all the work that you do. And I love that you added that piece, too, of just how being a nurse first probably gave you a little bit more of that edge and that empathy so that you could go in there and you could say, hey, like, I kind of feel a little bit more for these patients and not to take away from any other medical professional. But when you are there and you're you're seeing them and you're working, I, I would say working with them or treating them for as long as what you do that had to have given you some sort of insight, I would say. So I think that's fantastic. I think it's perfect that you're there. So um, so let's kind of dive into what this because this this is part of our three-part episode on military and mental health. And just to reiterate, we've already had someone who has come on who spoke directly about their time being deployed. And then I also have talked to a gentleman that has a a business, essentially a nonprofit organization that is called 22 Mohawks, and they work to help prevent or to promote suicide awareness within our vets, just so that people are aware of what those numbers and conditions are, and then working to combat that as well. Um, So we're bringing you on because we really want to talk about that mental side with actually treating people who are going through this. Because one of the things that we've brought up in an underlining theme with both of those guests within this category is exactly what I said in the opening, which is we train, we train, we train. We teach our soldiers to be, I would say without to act without emotion or to act without because they have to get the job done and then they come back into real life. And so what has your experience been working with? I, I, I call, I'd say clients. So I'm just, it's hard for me to, I know for you it's patients. So what is it like to work with patients, clients who present these, these conditions? It can be really difficult at times just because they, like you said, have this stigma of I have to be strong. I can't show any emotion. Otherwise, it's weakness and they have to suppress all these emotions. Otherwise, they would not be able to function, honestly, overseas with some of the things they've seen, some of the people they've lost and just all those emotions they're feeling. And then they're thrust back into normal society. And that reintegration is tough Because if you have a family, first of all, they've been surviving without you, have new routines, you don't know what the routines are, and then just going back to work as well if they don't, especially if they work a civilian job back Mm -hmm. here and they just do like guards and all that, that's a little tougher too because it's a whole different mindset and you have to start feeling again, but it's in your brain that you can't. And so it's, honestly, it takes several times meeting vets a lot of times for them to feel comfortable opening up to me. I ask every visit, any mood changes, thoughts of self-harm, those kinds of things. And a lot of times they just won't answer or mm-hmm. they'll just say, oh, no, I'm fine. Right. But then they'll open up and they're just like, I can't believe I told you this. And I said, mm. well, that's what I'm here for. And I want you to be open with me. And there is such a stigma around it. It's just horrible. Mm-hmm. And there's also a stigma around what mental health can offer to help them. So there are a few vets I have that don't want to go to see the mental health provider. We have a great program. We really do at the VA. But then I will then treat them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm their therapist too. They'll open up to me and I'll just sit and listen. And I run behind sometimes just because I want to be thorough medically, but also with their mind. I want to focus on that. And if 
they open up to me and say, yes, I am suicidal Mm -hmm. actively. And then I just talk through that and we have a protocol for that too, but Mm -hmm. just it's, it's tough, but it's, it feels like I'm, I have a purpose and I feel like I'm helping people and that's why I went into this field. So, right. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's just kind of paint this picture for the audience because I don't know if we made it. So as a primary care provider, I mean, and, and this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the VA services are, they're free essentially to veterans or active military. I, I don't even really know. So I'm just, so we would have these patients are coming in and you are the primary care provider who is seeing them just for potentially anything that they're coming in for, but then you are also able to focus on the mental health aspect of it when necessary. Yes, correct. So um, any veteran can go to the VA. Um, There's a thing called service connection, and that determines certain things that are covered at what percent. Like if you're 50% connected, then your meds don't have a copay. If you're 100%, you can get dental. So there's just a few little caveats, but I've had a few vets who are like, oh, I didn't no, I could come here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so just knowing that piece is available. And then with like our mental health services, we have um, walk in, you'd say you present and say, I need to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. There's always someone available or there's the veteran crisis line that's 24-7. Like you can call it and someone will answer. Right. But yes, essentially as the primary care provider, I do annuals, six-month visits. There's also acute things that come in. We do have a walk-in clinic so that takes care of some of that but sometimes if I know them I'm like yeah just come in right and I'll see you and figure out since we've been working on this or if it's a new thing mm-hmm. that way they don't have to retell their whole story to someone else right and then it kind of gives them the treatment or the it gives them access quicker I mm-hmm. would assume so so let, I want I'm kind of curious about what you know what does that moment look like when when someone does tell you or it, I don't want to say admit, but when they do feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, maybe I'm not totally okay when it comes to my mental health. So I asked that same question. And then the difference I notice is their face softens a little bit and they just look at me and I make sure I turn and face them directly and not just be on the screen, which I try to look at them the whole time and mm-hmm. just type without looking at <laughs> right. it. Um, but then... Sometimes you can see the eyes water. Sometimes, you know, there's been a multitude of things or they're very stoic, but there's like a softening of their expression. And I just sense I know they're going to open up to me and mm-hmm. I encourage them to. And I make sure I act like it's normal because mm-hmm. it is. There it shouldn't is. be a stigma. And I always say, I said, I wish there wasn't such a stigma because this is such a big problem, especially with military, that it's important for you to talk and get these feelings off your chest. And if we need to use medication for a little bit, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some people just need a little help. And it's not to say you're going to be on it forever. Mm -hmm. But if we work through things and you get with mental health and you have counseling and that, then just get the meds to help you till you come up with those coping mechanisms or whatever you need and process everything. And if you have to stay on them forever, then you do. It's not a big deal. Right. But I think if everyone military not was honest with themselves at some point in your life, you've had something like anxiety, depression, right. thoughts of self-harm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's such a good point because I think, and I know I even brought it up a little bit in the intro, but when we do talk about military and mental health, it's very easy to assume, oh, PTSD. Because there's a lot of things, we call it pop psychology, where it's like, it's it's things that become more mainstream, whether it's 
Like, I, do you remember a couple years ago when and it was the marshmallow test that they brought back? Like, it was it went kind of viral on YouTube where parents were putting the um, like the M and M's or the candy in front of their kids, and it was about instant gratification. They're like, no, 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 don't touch it. And then they would record them to see if they would touch it. That's a psych. That's a psych experience that goes way back to like. God, I'm testing myself here, but I think it was like the '60s when they came up with that. But it just—I'm just saying—it kind of became mainstream again. And so, and I'm not comparing that exactly to PTSD, but it's very quick for us to associate, oh, military mental health PTSD. But there are so many other conditions that can be happening. Just because you've served doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have PTSD. That general anxiety, that general depression, that general even just overwhelming feelings of sadness or grief, and you don't know why. You don't know where it's coming from. Uh, I, I had um, actually the men in mental health episode that we did the first se- the first episode of this season. He was also um, past uh, former military. So he's a veteran too. And he even said there were times where he was just getting mad and he had no idea why he was reacting with such anger to something that wasn't there or something that he said wasn't even his business. It should not be bothering him. And so all of these are conditions as to what could affect a veteran. And I agree with you. Yes. And like even nightmares and just a general feeling of anxiety about like, am I doing everything right? And could I have done more to save this person? And just feelings of like survivor guilt. I've had a few guys who lost their whole troop and they were the only ones Mm. who survived and came Mm -hmm. back. And just that alone just eats away at you. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to express that, especially... A lot of times they'll say, I don't want to go see mental health because then I have to relive it all. Or I already saw someone. I see a different person every time. I don't want to retell the same story over and over because it's just draining. Bring it back up. Yeah. That's opening a trauma wound. Yep. Exactly. Keep opening the wound and pouring salt and vinegar in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, an effective counselor would, I'm just to kind of with that point to say, you know, kind of to combat with that because I would just say, Um, that would be one, if I were in that position and I were sitting down with a counselor, the first thing I would say is I don't want to reopen this and have that language. I mean, and I think that's, you know, too, something I'm learning right now in my program is, you know, counselors, we are not directors of your life. We are guides. We are not there to tell you what to do. We do not have a magical cure. You're not going to come in and have two sessions and just feel 100% better. We're there to help guide and tool. So if you tell, you know, make, I always say, make your counselor work for you, with you. So, hey, I don't really want to open this up, but I know that it's here because we can come up with those coping mechanisms. We can come up with better styles to go forward when those feelings do start to come up. It's not necessarily about reopening, reopening, because every time you hash that back out, you really got to be careful with how much you are flooding your 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 chemical levels with, I mean, the amount of the stress that's going to be coming through your body. And that's not good. So I just think, and and there was another part to that piece too. um, Something that Dave brought up in his episode was depending on what your position is within the military, when you do come back, sometimes you are, you know, when you're, I would say over there, when you're in training, you know, you're doing these high adrenaline, um, high energy, very adventuristic type of situations. And then you come back here and maybe you got so used to that. You just got used to that lifestyle. You might've even enjoyed it a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that because everybody, that's why, you know, we have skydive people go and they do these adrenaline activities all the time. Not me, but people do them. (laughs) And it's just, it's like, how do you even, to even think from that aspect, you know, how do you come back to this place of, I'm not doing that anymore. And then how do you find your role that 
hasn't been there for a while. So what, what do you have anything to say with that or like any experiences with that? Yeah, just like not having to constantly be on guard. Right. And a lot of them have trouble sleeping because you're used to having to have one ear open while you sleep, one eye open because anything could happen at any moment. And like my husband has issues sleeping if it's, well, he sleeps through anything, I guess I should say, um, <laughs> because he was used to such loud noises at night and planes flying over and the generators and all of that, that he literally will not wake up for mm. anything. I remember I came home from clinicals one night and heard the baby screaming. And he's going to kill me for saying this, but I went in the bedroom and he's lying literally inches from the baby and mm-hmm. baby screaming and he's fast asleep. Right. right. And so that just showed me even more so how that's affected his sleep. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people on the opposite end of the spectrum just can't sleep or those nightmares right. wake them up or that they wake insomnia. up in cold sweats and don't know what happened. And, or they wake up disoriented and they think they're back there mm. and have to do these coping things like get in the shower or get a glass of water or something to calm down, but then their adrenaline was up and it's hard to go back to sleep. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, and so, and that's the thing too, is there's no right answer, right? There's no medication that's just going to fix. So it's like, I'm trying to think I'm like from a scientific viewpoint, you know, how do we approach this? But it is different. And that's, and that's the first part of it. You know, I always talk about the objectivity and subjectivity. So it's within this objective idea, every single person is going to have a different experience. So that is why it's important to find it. it I'm just, I'm speaking for people who might, their ears perked up because they're hearing something and what we're talking about. And they're like, Oh, that's me. Well, what do I do? And I think one of the first things is you do have to, you have to ask for help and you have to get to and I'm so glad that there are providers like you that are saying, I'm going to check this mental side and I'm going to focus on what that is because that is part of your entire treatment plan. Exactly. The holistic approach of mind, body, spirit, all of it. Exactly. Because it can manifest in physical ways if your mind is not. You exactly. Mm-hmm. What, do you have any examples of that? Because I tell people that stuff all the time. They're like, well, what do you mean? They don't really believe it at first. Well, even just kids going to school will have stomach aches if they're anxious, if they're being bullied, they'll manifest that in a physical way. And parents are wondering what is wrong with you. You keep having these GI issues, these stomach issues, these headaches. It's because they're anxious. Um, I've seen just like generalized pain that won't go away or like a nervous tick or chest pain, palpitations, so fluttering of the chest, and that's usually with anxiety, Mm -hmm. Um, shortness of breath when they get anxious. There's just a lot that goes with it, and it's kind of sometimes difficult to determine, okay, is this from this, or is this an actual internal issue that I need to medically work up? So just trying to piece together with them, okay, well, when do you notice this? Do you notice you're anxious at those times or or not. Right. And right. when does it happen? When does it not happen? Does it happen all the time? And that's the other side of it too, is a lot of these vets have injuries from the military, traumatic brain injuries, physical injuries, amputations, and then having that chronic pain is very hard mentally as well to deal with that. That's where we see a lot of depression, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you chronically can't hardly walk because you hurt your back, you're going to have some depression about that if you can't yeah. do the things you love. Right. But the the physical symptoms are, and I think people ignore that very quickly. You know, and I think a lot of times like it's normal to just maybe have a headache throughout the day or you might correlate it with stress from work or family or whatever it is. 
but really your mind might be telling you something more and your body is reacting to that. So it is, and I'm, again, I'm bringing it back to that piece that I'm just so happy to hear of a provider doing that. We actually had in one of our first up ep- or second episode from the season, um, on postpartum depression, we had um, my friend Angela came in and she had gone to her provider after her her checkup, her wellness checkup after her baby was born. And here she was suffering from postpartum and the provider just completely overlooked it. And she was just hoping, she was like just dying inside, like, please look, because she put it on a form and the provider still kind of just tucked it underneath. So I do think a lot of times and not placing blame on anybody, it's even professionals have... <laughs> those days. It's just, it's just so important to hear that, to know that you're doing that. That is fantastic. And I mean, do you feel like that's pretty much like within your network? I mean, was there something that maybe inspired that in you or just? I just started noticing a lot throughout my practice. I've been doing this about a year and a half now Mm -hmm. that when I see people back again and they finally open up, I'm like, oh, this is a problem. Granted, I'd always asked it because it was on my little template I use. And I just am well aware, you know, from my husband and being around it of all the mental health there is. And the fact that we have such a huge program geared towards that mm-hmm. made me be like, okay, this is an important thing. And mm-hmm. I just made sure I could focus on that because if they're not wanting to go see a professional or seek help and I'm the only person they see, right? then that's on me if I don't ask and ask and ask and ask. And it's been mm-hmm. effective is what it's you're saying. It's been great. Yeah. So I've seen some really positive feedback from vets and even just uh, our mental health department will be like, you know, I like if we have a veteran who says they want to talk with mental health today, they'll say, oh, they used to be on a med. They want to be on it. They'll be like, hey, Danielle, are you okay prescribing this? If they don't want to come to us, I said, of course, right. like, I will happily do that. Granted, if it gets to the point where I'm I've tried several ones that I'm comfortable with and they're not working. I'll be like, okay, I really think it would benefit you. I'm not an expert in this field by any means. I think you should go talk with someone even just to see what other medications we can try. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And again, just getting that full scope, that full roundedness to just be be present and to be there. And that's what's – I hope that is a shift or a gear – that maybe another provider might hear this and think, oh, wow, I really do have that ability. And this is something I should maybe put, follow that template. Like Mm -hmm. you said, maybe it's something I should try to incorporate into my own practice. So I do, I do think that's so important. So thank you for that. And so I know we've, we wanted to touch on your profession, but then I know, again, I, you have another very unique piece to this because you can, give some insight to people who also are, who are married to in relationships with, um, you know, active military or, or veterans. So what, what, and again, we're, I'm not trying I know your, your husband's not here. We're not interviewing him. (laughs) So I don't want to bring too much of him in here, but you know, just what is maybe a generalized way of expressing or talking about what, that is like. I mean, I know you mentioned some of the difficulties when he was deployed, but you know, if you want to give some insight there. Yeah. So it's just always having that high expectation at the job and the stress of it and the gravity of it and all these new programs that they have to learn and the trainings and drill 
And honestly, if something happens, then you get a call and you have to leave within a day or two. And granted, that always happens over big events. Right. Um, (laughs) So he's missed a few things like our baby shower and birthdays and holidays. And so that's just the constant stress of trying to make a plan and plan a vacation. Then, oh, just kidding. You can't do that because we have this going on. Right. And just having to have that elasticity to just go when, where, whatever, last minute. And so that is straining, Mm -hmm. obviously. And just the job itself um, with having to wear the big duty belt. He's got back issues Mm. and neck issues just from having to wear all that gear. Right. And so that alone Mm -hmm. is stressful um, just because, you know, you're just going to keep re-aggravating it. It's not going to get better because you're doing this job Mm -hmm. day in, day out in the schedule with the profession he's in, it's called a Panama schedule. So they do 12 hour shifts where one week they'll work Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then next week it's Wednesday, Thursday. And it's just scattered. And then every six months they do where they put in for what shift they want. And sometimes it's, you know, straight nights, straight days, Mm -hmm. and you just get what you're given. And Mm -hmm. uh, we were blessed for a while. He was on days for a while, but he's back on nights. And so that's just straining with, lack of sleep and missed family time and right. yeah so just there's a lot with it and then from my side of it too is I have to be flexible as well and be accepting of okay yeah he could leave at any minute the deployment was an eye-opener for me um because I was like oh I can do this so then when he's like I have to be gone for two weeks I'm like you did it for seven months you can do it for two weeks <laughs> granted you have another kid in there now but it's okay yeah. it's okay right. you can do this right and then yeah, just trying to be supportive and trying to understand because I know I won't ever know what he's all seen, what he's all gone through. He's lost several friends, you know, in active duty or to suicide and mm-hmm. just that strain he holds. Well, you said his um, his branch is one of the the highest suicide rates. His profession. His of, profession. Yeah, the me. security forces has probably the highest suicide rate in the military Mm -hmm. and so he's known several people who either have or have attempted to Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just it's heartbreaking well and there's so much too and and this is in general with mental health we it's it's funny i've thought about this in my weird thought process before (laughs) i was like if you could almost like if you could scale things out and actually this is something this is something we use in counseling but if you could scale things out like on a scale of one to 100 and just imagine how an event even i pick up this water bottle and i take a drink of water say on a scale of one to 100 that's impacting me uh two but then i leave here and i almost get into an accident and that is a an 80 and then if you think about the from a numeric standpoint all of the what would your number be at the end of the day you know what would how many things are coming in here how many things are impacting you how many things are you carrying around just based on situational components like that that happen and so imagine just in the I, I mean i don't even think with military or with vets or the things that they go through the thoughts that they have the people they've lost I, I, I mean, you'd have to scale that on one to a thousand. You mm-hmm. couldn't even start in the one hundreds. So that's where, like when I, I haven't done direct work with vets yet, but I just, when I do think about where they're even starting, I mean, that's just, I think of those thousands of numbers and how we're going to start to bring, try to bring them back down to the hundreds, but sometimes you just can't do that. So 
and this is obviously a bigger issue than what you and me are going to be able to correlate here with two mics and a computer we're not using. But I mean, what what do you think we can do going forward to help ease? I mean, I want to use the word ease, but you know, like ease our our vets or to help this help this problem not be a problem. Essentially, I think just working to first of all get rid of the stigma of mental health altogether for anyone and normalizing it and saying hey you're not alone this is very normal and to offer that judgment free area where they can come and they know they can say whatever to you and you will not even blink twice about it right and just spreading the word to you know other providers and just being like bringing up the fact of holistic care again. That's what we talk about all the time in school is holistic care and just stressing the importance of that, not only with veterans, but with just everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. like with that postpartum episode, that just broke my heart that she poured her soul out onto this form and the provider never even looked at it, Mm -hmm. which I get, you know, your day is busy. It's like, oh, I see these forms all the time. But even at a primary care provider, you feel an anxiety and depression form and scale on that. And if they don't look at that, that's a missed opportunity. Right. Honestly, it's almost a sentinel event mm. that we would call in the hospital if something you did didn't prevent a negative mm-hmm. outcome from coming mm. and you it was well within your ability and scope to prevent that. So I think yeah, just more education for providers or anyone in the medical field about that. And I didn't mean anything about, you know, other types of medical providers when I right. said I feel like I have more empathy than some. There are some great doctors and PAs and all of that too who didn't have the nursing component prior. Right. But I just feel like it helped me personally mm-hmm. with that component to really relate to it. And I've had many experiences too where I'm the patient and someone's touched me mm. uh, emotionally and they like actually looked at me and cared. Right. And that really sticks with me too. And that's what I tell myself is I need to be that person for them because no one else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's on me. And that is that raises my stress level a little bit because I feel like I carry this a lot home Mm. if I have a tough day with a tough patient and I rack my brain, make sure I didn't miss something. Or if something happens to my patient, they get admitted. I look through the chart and I'm like, did I miss something? Could I have prevented this? And then learn from that if I did. Right. And just go forward from there and just remind myself, okay, I know this is going to take an extra five minutes, but it is worth it in the long run. And so what would you say too, because that just, you know, thinking about that, you've mentioned like bringing all of this home. And I know that's one of the things when we were scoping out these episodes, I mean, just full disclosure, you're friends with my partner. So he and I were kind of working on it together. He's like, oh my God, Danielle would just be a great person to have on your show because she has all of these different components, all these mind mindsets that are going on. And and I talk a lot of times about how many hats do you have to wear throughout the day? Right. Mm -hmm. So, and with, with saying that, you know, what would you say though to, because I mean, I want to say, what would you say to other providers? You've kind of touched on that, but what would you say to other moms and wives who are out there who are kind of struggling with some of those things, those thoughts and feelings? Know that you are doing a great job even though it does not feel like it. We all feel every day that we fail as a parent, as a wife, as a friend, as a brother, sister, sibling, whatever. We always feel like we're failing, it seems like, but you are not. You're doing the best that you can do, and you are that person. You were in that position for a reason. No one else could do as good of a job as you are for that kid or for your spouse. This is where you're meant to be. And it's okay to feel all that stress because especially – as mothers, I feel like we wear a ton of hats. Um, we're a wife, 
we're the mom who's literally responsible for their living and continuing to live. And then at work, there's such pressure to work full-time and be a full-time mom, but you can't mm-hmm. do both. If you stay at home, oh, well, you should be out contributing. Or if you're out contributing, you should be home with your kids. And so it's just very tough to get all that because we feel like we have to do it all. And so just realizing you're definitely not alone. Talk mm-hmm. to any mom and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I have so many hats. <laughs> I feel scattered sometimes because mm-hmm. I'm trying to organize all this stuff in my head. I'm the one feel like you're the one, the glue that keeps everything together. And therefore, I can't break. I can't have an issue. I, I just don't have time for me to take care of me. Mm-hmm. I just have to make sure I do everything for everybody and it's perfect and everyone is happy. And I always get teased because whenever I host anything, I'm just anxious the whole time going around trying to make sure everyone's happy. Mm. And my husband's stepfather actually is so wonderful. He's the only one who's ever, or the first one I should say, who's clued in in those moments. And he like sees me, he sees my stress Mm. and he comes up, are you okay? What can I do for you? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I just like, so he's that person for me in those events. And I just super appreciate that. Right. But yeah, the hat thing is a, it's a big it's one. It's a big one. Yeah. Yep. It's a very, it's, a, I think of it as like balancing the hats. Like there's this one book where some guy just keeps putting more hats on mm. and I just like, this is my life. Yeah. It's like you finally get those balance and then someone's like, oh, here's another one. Right. Let's right. do this. Or right. someone once said, what's it like being a mom? It's like, well, it's like you're drowning and then someone throws you a baby. Yeah. And that's how it feels <laughs> some days. It's like, I am drowning. Someone just threw me another baby. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then you're holding that baby above to keep it alive and you're still drowning, but. Right, right. And it, but moms are just kind of, like you said, expected to just figure it out and know what to do. Yep. Um, I mean, you brought up something too, just in saying that, you know, relying on your support system and finding a way. I mean, no one, they always say it takes a village and no one can do it alone. And I can only imagine, especially with active military husbands, wives, whoever, I mean, you know, if, you know, your partner is physically not there and you still have to maintain everything. If you don't rely on your support system, I can't imagine how anybody would be able to do that. And if you don't have the best support system, you have to create one for yourself, right? I mean, you just have to figure out those people that you trust that you can rely on that can be there for you. I would just, I'm now talking from the mental health aspect of it because I'm like that because I'm thinking how would I do that because I don't have the kids or the hats like that so I can only imagine but I would just I would just say to any mom or any anyone who is experiencing any of these would just be that support system first and then find something for self-care and even if it is 10 minutes because I know I have this girlfriend back home I love her so much and she was so overwhelmed um, at one point in her life and I was like just take 15 minutes and take a shower like just take a shower and and you know have your have your husband watch the kids and put on some spa music and 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 find i don't know some eucalyptus soap or something and just make 15 minutes for yourself and that's all that you need just start there because after that you can go on and just find these little ways so do you have any ways that you implement your self care or that you 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 look for that in your moments that you can spare yeah, so I need to get better at that. Um, we all do. Yes. <laughs> we all do. Um, but just kind of what you said, too, it's relying, allowing yourself to rely on your support system, like you said, in the postpartum one, too, not being afraid to ask for help. It doesn't mean you're weak. I had that problem when he was deployed. I felt like I had to do everything, and I would feel bad if I asked for help. So very 
very rarely did mm-hmm. I. It would be more so, okay, great, the heater broke. I don't know what to do. And so right. I would phone a friend and be like, hey, can you come look at this? <laughs> like, I'm not good at this stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's always been me. I've always just tried to suck it up and do it and not ask for help because I makes me feel weak. But when I have asked for help, I'm so happy I did. And yeah, just taking that time to yourself. Um, and yes, I'm going to reference Bluey, the kid show. It's wonderful. <laughs> but there's an episode where the mom's like in the kitchen and one kid's being noisy. One kid's telling them knock knock jokes that don't make sense. And she's trying to cook. And then the dad comes home and she's like, all right, food's in the, the crock pot. I just need 20 minutes mm-hmm. where no one talks to me. And right. the whole episode is about him trying to keep the kids away from the mom <laughs> so she can have 20 minutes. And that honestly helped me. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. I can try this self-care. Granted, a lot of it I do after the kids go to bed. Mm-hmm. I'll like work out, take an extra long shower, do a face mask, just lie down with the face mask on and relax. Um have a glass of wine from yeah. time to time mm-hmm. and or spend time with my spouse if the time allows and he's home. Right. And we like watching shows. And one of the best things we've done, I'll put a little plug in here for couples, but making date night a priority and, yep. you know, finding someone you trust. Granted, if you don't have family around, find a wonderful babysitter, like ask around, ask your uh, friends who they used use someone from the daycare Mm -hmm. and just take that time and purposely go with your spouse because a lot of times we see divorce which we know that's very common unfortunately but it's happens a lot after the kids are gone Mm. after they're out of the house because you've spent so much time focusing on these little humans which they should be a priority for Mm -hmm. sure but you really need to set your spouse above that because Mm -hmm. when they're gone if you don't know each other and you have nothing in common anymore because you don't do anything then it's a problem so We personally, we're very lucky. My parents live like three minutes from us. So every other Saturday, we go to dinner and a movie because that's what we like to do. Right. And it's just nice. And we made a rule recently that, okay, whenever we go out, we just talk about the kids. We're not going to do that. We're going to (laughs) purposely not talk about the kids. And if we do, we're going to catch ourselves and actually (laughs) talk about, hey, what's going on at work? Or, hey, do you have any new goals, dreams, aspirations? And we have a little book where we actually write in uh, house goals. Like what we want to see with the house, personal goals, like, mm. like I want LASIK someday. That'd be great to not wake <laughs> up and be blind, yeah. especially if, you know, the apocalypse happens yeah. and I have yeah, no glasses. Know. I'm done. Oh, I know. So, I've thought of that before, yep. too. I was like, I always stock up on my contacts, yep. too. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just, too, like if you're not into movies, um, asking your spouse, what is something you like to do? And even if it's something you have no desire to do, go do it with them. Yeah. And just yeah. focus on how happy it makes them. We actually are part of a marriage group at our church, and that's one of the things we talk about. And there's this one couple who she really wanted to go to this concert, and he's like, I have no desire. And then we saw him the next week, and he said, it was a blast. <laughs> like, just seeing her singing to all the songs and just yeah. her energy and, like, how happy I made her. And then it's always reciprocated, like, okay, it's your turn. What do you want to do? Right. Let's go do it. And I love that you're bringing that up, too, because it's um, I always say to just even just doing new things, something that you've never done before, um, neither one of you and doing that together, because even if it sucks, you can laugh and joke about mm-hmm. how much it sucked and how much we're never going to do that again. Yeah. But, you know, at least you did it and you tried it. <laughs> Kenny and I went and we both jet skied for the first time and I we had the most fun. I mean, I, it was so much fun. But even just doing that together and being like, oh, my gosh, being out on the water and it just there's so many components of it that make it 
so much more mm-hmm. fun and yep. thrilling and exciting. And like I said, even on the other side. So I love that. I love that. Because even if it's not great, you still get to laugh about it not yep. being great. So that's that's fantastic. I love those little – that goal thing is great. I mean, mm-hmm. I love that idea, having a little book there and working together on it. And, and that's great advice for anyone who is, like you said, I mean, because I could imagine how difficult it would be all of the stress is going on and then looking at your partner and being like, yeah, now I'm going to take it out on you a little bit. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> how could you not? You know, it's like maybe things would be different if we weren't in this situation or if this wasn't such a major part of our life. But to be able to work with it and then around it and then still have a connection is fantastic. So that's that's awesome. And I know we're kind of getting to our time. So I want to make sure I know we've talked about both the medical side, I appreciate that perspective, and now the personal side. I mean, is there anything on either of those fronts or just in general you want to touch up with? This is kind of your last chance with the mic, as I call it. So, I guess I would just say, especially with, like, military couples or even if it's just your brother or your dad, just understanding that they may never want to talk about it. They may take a while to talk about it or they may be completely open about it, but just being there and just saying, hey, I know you may not want to talk about this, but no, I'm here when you do. And just knowing and trying to give them little graces because sometimes they get back from deployment and they're just angry all the time or they just don't want to do anything. Just give them a grace. Be like, I don't know what they went through. Um, there was a reference in our marriage group book, actually, that was wonderful. And it really kind of hit me in the gut like, wow, I need to be better about this, where her husband was deployed for a year. And at the six-month mark, he got granted a two-week time to come back. And she was like, I initially was like, I'm going to have him do this and this and this. And then she thought about it, took a step back and said, no, I need to serve him and be here for him and give him what he needs. And so when he got home, she like drew a bath and then like just cleansed him and like cleansed his eyes to cleanse from what he saw, cleansed his ears. And she just said it was a very emotional connection. And they had the best two weeks that they'd ever had Mm -hmm. just being intentional and her being like, what do you need? So just knowing that, and it's hard because you know, when they're gone and they come home, you're like, great, I finally have help. Yeah. But knowing that just taking a step back and focusing on your spouse and loving your spouse Mm -hmm. and then it will be reciprocated. Mm -hmm. They will remember it Mm -hmm. and it'll just strengthen you guys together. And just, you know, even if it's just, they go to drill once a month and come back, they're stressed, they're tired. Just understand that, yeah, they might be a little cranky, but it's not you. Mm-hmm. They're just like we outward reflect on our spouses all the time. They're yeah. the person. They're there, and I hate it, but I take things out that I shouldn't take out <laughs> yeah, on them because it's not their fault, but I'm just so beyond anything that I can't ha- help it. Yeah. But just recentering yourself and shifting your focus to how can I love my partner? How can I love him when he's gone through so much and does so much sacrificing. I know it affects me, but it affects them even more because they feel helpless. Like when he was deployed, my son had an anaphylactic reaction. We were in the hospital. He had admitted to the children's hospital and he just felt so sick that he could not be there. Right. And yeah, it was hard on me, but I can't even imagine something happening to a loved one and not being able to go there. Or some of them, a loved one will die while they're gone Mm -hmm. and they can't go back for the funeral. Mm. And so... Yeah, I guess just understanding that they've gone through stuff and it's okay. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And granted, I'm not saying, you know, abuse is acceptable by any means. No. But just knowing that they're having all those feelings. And for veterans, I'm going to cry now. For veterans, I just want to say 
there are people here for you that care. I know it may not feel like it. It does not mean you're weak if you ask for help. It is means you're actually strong to face what's going on and be open about it. And I know it's even harder for men to open up and talk about feelings because that's just, you know, I'm a man. I shouldn't have these feelings. But no, please, please reach out to somebody. If you're thinking of harming yourself, call the Veteran Crisis Line, call a friend, have someone come over, take yourself to the hospital. Just know that you are needed and valued and you are meant to be here. You have some good to give, even if you don't feel like it. And if you try long enough, you will find someone who cares and who listens. And I'm just, I'm so passionate about it. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I love my vets. Mm-hmm. So I know. Well, and Danielle, thank you, my Lord, for all the work that you do and for for being that light and that guide, because I can only imagine how many people you have helped and how many people you're going to continue to help. And uh, I'm just so inspired by by the work you're doing. So thank you very, very much for that and for everything, for being on the show today and for coming all the way from Sioux Falls. Uh, that, you know, I'm just so happy to have you here. So, Danielle, thank, thank you. you. And to all of my guests who have tuned in today, thank you for being here and for supporting this and giving us a platform to talk about these important topics. And as always, if you or anyone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please reach out, call, um, go to the crisis hotlines, look for local resources within your community. You can always, of course, dial 911 for immediate services, but you can also go call, text 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. And this season, you guys, we're really working to build the show into something that can reach a greater audience. So if you have the time, I would really appreciate if you could like, subscribe, and rate each episode so that we can gear our content going forward and give you guys the best episode we can. If you've enjoyed this episode and you would like to be featured or want to continue the conversation, you can visit my website, www.onwhatbringsyouin.com. Again, thank you to all my listeners. Thank you to the CoLab Studios here in Clearwater, Florida. And thank you, Danielle. Everyone go out and be well. We will talk soon. Thank you.